Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook, and European and international football expert Kevin Hatchard. This week on the podcast, we'll be reflecting on whether Manchester United are in for a cup treble, Mitrovic's misdemeanour, Haaland being unstoppable. Evan Ferguson about to save Brighton millions and millions of quids. Uh, the Champions League draw sets City and Chelsea on a path to meet in the semi-finals of the competition. But they've got hurdles to jump before then. And if Conte goes from Tottenham, who do you replace him with? It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Hey, we're all in the same room today. What's going on? It's exciting, it isn't it? It is very exciting. And uh, I came dressed as Alex Crook today. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> Great tribute act. I Lovely. decided that, yeah, because I started wearing these roll necks many years ago. He copied them. One person told him he looked good in it, and he's been wearing the same one ever since. You might see by the number of bobbles that are on the front of that jersey. He owns the theme, doesn't he? He, he thinks Indeed. he does. <laughs> Uh, but now Ruben Seles is doing it, Ten Hag's doing it. They're all doing it. Graham Potter. Graham Potter. We're all following your... Your sort of it's lead often been said else. that I am a trend setter. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I totally understand. But usually yes. in a negative way. Yeah. To be fair, <laughs> downward trend. <laughs> um, so, as, how many people have called you the chef this week? By the way, quite a few. Yeah. Even some friends of mine in Portugal who I had no idea listened to our podcast. It's clearly gone global. Oh, well done, chef. I well got done, a message chef. at the weekend. The head chef. Uh, it's lovely to have you back with us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about stuff that could happen in the future, rather than concentrating too much on the games that have gone uh, this weekend. So we'll get stuck into what happened in the FA Cup quarterfinals and how they could impact the rest of the season. Let's start at Old Trafford. They were across the Sheffield United fans. It's worked back to Doyle. 30 yards out! Oh, what a goal! What a winner for Tommy Doyle! Incredible heads! The full-time whistle! Sheffield United are FA Cup semi-finalists. Milbeck touches it on, Mitoma's curler deflected in. It's crept in for five. Caro Mitoma, the crowning glory for Brighton and Hove Albion under Roberto De Zerbi. Could this be the year they lift the FA Cup? And Mitrovic, is that a red card as well? for descent. And Fulham all of a sudden down the knife. Fulham losing their heads. Marco Silva also dismissed. Bruno Fernandes. Another FA Cup tie. The same result. It's going to be a 3-1 victory for Manchester United in a fourth successive round. And they are through to a record-breaking 31st FA Cup semi-final. Well, there's so much to talk about in this game because... 
there's a lot that will impact the rest of the season, bearing in mind that Mitrovic probably isn't going to play for a lot of what Fulham have still got to do. And is their season going to tail off as a result of that, do you think? I think there's a good chance of that. Uh, and I think it's a real shame because they played so well for so much of the game. Obviously, it was a handball. Uh, and so you can understand why the penalty was given, why the red card was shown. But if Mitrovic has a flaw in his game, it's that he does lack control. And he is on the wind-up a lot of the time. And when you play on the edge like that, sometimes it's good, but a lot of the time it's not. And you cannot, in the... In the kind of atmosphere we have in football nowadays, you can't push a referee. You can't, you can't be aggressive towards a referee in that way because what happens is it gets copied, it filters down. And I think we're at the stage, I know on, on a pod recently we talked about Andre Marin and we had a bit of a joke about it, but actually we do need to protect referees to a mm. certain extent. That doesn't mean they're free of criticism. Of course, they have to be criticised if they make mistakes. But... We can criticise players because we'll never run out of players. We can criticise managers. We're never going to run out of managers. My fear is the referee pool is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller because they will just say, I don't want that abuse. Uh, and it's getting harder and harder, I think, for refs to come through. And what you will get is either not enough referees or a smaller talent pool. And so the referees you do get at the top level will not be of the quality we've had in years past. Uh, 40 seconds that changed the game, really, those three red cards. And there was one minute, th 29 seconds between the two goals where Manchester United went from 1-0 down to 2-1 up very quickly. But let's just look at what it means for Manchester United season as well, because going forward for them, they're now going to obviously play in an FA Cup semi-final. It means their game against Chelsea moves around. they got Sevilla upcoming in the next round of the Europa League, but they looked a little bit leggy at times. And is the number of games that they've been playing this season starting to catch up with them? I think so. I think if you look at their performances since that emotional second leg against Barcelona at Old Trafford, they haven't looked the same team. Obviously, injuries and suspension have played a part. Casemiro... And he hasn't known much about um, like fixture conjection, but he, he has moaned, Eric Ten Hag, about the fact that his players got injured by bad tackles yeah. from other players and that's robbed him of Eriks and it's robbed him of Garnacho and actually Garnacho would have been pretty useful this weekend. He would probably have started or at the very least made a significant contribution from the bench. Hopefully Eriksson is nearing a return to fitness. Obviously Casemiro has this second suspension that's ongoing and I think when the fringe players come in, Manchester United aren't good enough to hit the levels that Eric Ten Hag wants to. And if you look at the team at the weekend, not many of the summer signings were available. Varane wasn't there either. So you're going back to the team that underwhelmed last season. So I think this break has come at a good time. Let's try and get some of those players back and try and recharge and go again for the final running. But it's going to be a very congested end to the season. I expect them to beat Sevilla and progress in the Europa League. They've already got a game to rearrange in the Premier League against Brighton. That could be a big one. That probably won't happen till May now. You've mentioned already the Chelsea game will have to be reorganised as well. So it's an exciting time, but it's going to be a very congested one as well. It's an exciting time, but it is, like you say, a very busy time for Manchester United. Um, the cup treble? Is it on? Listen, it's difficult to win the FA Cup. They're going to have to beat Manchester City at Wembley. I think that's pretty clear. How, how do you know that? They'll beat Sheffield United. How do you know that? They'll be... <laughs> I'm looking forward to a Brighton Sheffield United final. Of course you are. Course that's you what are. the people want. That's what the people isn't want, isn't it? The People's Cup. The, I, uh, the look, people I, will be going to the pub on cup final day and avoiding <laughs> the game if that is the case there's every chance of Brighton causing a problem yeah I agree I mean the way for that Manchester they play United, definitely yeah. but there's no uh, chance that Sheffield United cause a problem for Man City uh, uh, Brighton Manchester City cup final if it were to be that would be a fascinating game as well wouldn't yeah. it be tremendous because you've got two amazing coaches going head to head Pep will be fretting about it 
all the way up to the final. And he hates semi-finals. He, he gets really upset about FA Cup semi-finals. Yeah. You spoke to him after the game on Saturday. The, one of the big things that he was going on about is we never turn up in FA Cup semi-finals for whatever reason. He said when they beat Brighton in the last FA Cup semi-final that they played against them in 2019, even when we won one, we were rubbish. <laughs> well, he's, he had a semi-final problem at Bayern as well. Got to the semi-finals of the Champions League and each and every year he was there, couldn't get through it. So It's lucky they've got a bye then, isn't it? Well, not They've quite got a bye. Sheffield United. Not quite it's not a bye. bye. It's a bye. Okay. I'd love it if Sheffield United beat him now, <laughs> just to annoy him. Not because I want Manchester City to go out before you start texting me. I'm uh, guessing but... you're not going to Sheffield anytime soon, right? <laughs> or Norwich. <laughs> or Leeds. <laughs> or Newcastle. Yeah. Or anywhere north, really, yeah. basically. Just chased out of every city in the country eventually. Yeah. Apart from Brighton. Yes. yes They're very popular there. in Brighton. I want them to lose as well. Sorry, guys. <laughs> These are nice problems for Manchester United to have, though. Yeah, you know, this is what you want as a coach. You want these dilemmas. Obviously, you'd love a fully fit squad, but the fact that he has these selection dilemmas, he has all of these games, it shows how far they've come. They'll beat Sevilla, though, won't they? Yeah, they will because this is not the Sevilla of seasons past. This is not the Sevilla that knocked them out uh, a couple of seasons ago in the Europa League on it's their way to winning the it. Not even the Sevilla last season, is it? No, it isn't, and they they have suffered from eventually selling off the family silver time and time again. Jules Koundé went to Barcelona, has done very well um, before the injuries. Also, Diego Carlos went to Villa. Obviously, it's not worked out from a Villa because of injury, but that's basically their first choice centre-back pairing. They lost them. Lucas Campos was allowed to leave, but he's come back. As we record, there is talk of Jorge Sampaoli losing his job as the Sevilla coach because even though they've got to this stage of the Europa League, they've had to really sneak through the last couple of rounds. They've won really well at home in the first leg against PSV and then against Fenerbahce and then nearly blew it away from home in each of those ties and they're still fighting relegation battle in La Liga. Is this another case then? Because I think the first leg is at home again for United. Could it be a similar situation to Real Betis that we get this game won with something to spare in that first leg? That's what you'd hope. It's not easy to go there. Um, They've been much better at home than they have away from home. They're pretty pitiful away from home, actually. And they're not as good a team as Betis are. Uh, And United were obviously able to blow them away for stretches of that first leg. You're still um, mocking my assertion that the top teams in England should never lose to a European team unless they're Real Madrid or Barcelona. You're coming (laughs) round to my way of thinking now, aren't you? Or Bayern. No, no, I, I think this season Bayern should be beaten as well. Maybe. We'll see, won't we? Well, we'll. we'll, we'll. <laughs> You'll be there? I will. Uh, Manchester City against uh, Bayern is uh, the, uh, the the quarterfinals of the Champions League, uh, which we hope are going to be on uh, Talk Sport, and I'll be there for those two games. They warmed up nicely for the international break with a 6-0 thrashing of Burnley. And Erling Haaland, that... that that donkey who uh, does a bit of goal scoring, I think. Was that what you said the other day? I said, technically, he looks like a donkey, but he comes alive and he's a freak when it comes to scoring goals. I'll stand by that. Sorry, is this a magic donkey? What are you talking about? The best centre forward on the planet is a donkey (laughs) who does a bit of goal scoring. He's got no technique. If he is a donkey... I hope he has a go at Cheltenham next year because I reckon he'll romp up in the Gold Cup, the Queen Mother Champion Chase and every other single uh, uh, possible hurdling race that there is available to him because he is absolutely spectacular. He's got 42 goals. He's headed for 60 goals this season, the way things are going. He's definitely not a donkey. He's a terrific, terrific footballer. He's utterly amazing is what he is. He's quick. He's strong. He has an amazing knack of being in the right place at the right time in the penalty area. He strikes the ball with such violence. 
And the most important thing, I think, actually, in amongst all those skills is the fact that he has this burning desire to win, mm. to improve. He's very self-critical. He goes back through footage and goes, I got three there, I should have got five. Oh, that was the great thing about his interview with CBS on Wednesday night when they beat uh, Leipzig and he'd scored five goals. Immediately he was talking about, now I need to improve here, I need to be improved there. I missed yeah. two chances on my left foot. I've got to get better at that. I've got to be better at bringing others into play. He wants to make sure that he goes up to a next level. Do you think that's probably, out of all of the things that you've said, bold claim-wise, probably the most stupid thing you've ever said? <laughs> Again, you need to contextualise it. I said he was an absolute phenomenal phenomenon when it what, comes what to being he? a golf scorer. What is he? He is a freak. You're getting you know, nervous so, now, aren't Someone you? You're getting nervous who basically now. has been produced almost in a laboratory. But I just said, when it comes to technique, being pleasing on the eye, he isn't that, is he? He's pretty pleasing on the eye if you're a Manchester City fan. Yeah, it depends what you mean. I mean, look, can his link-up He's play... not the most cultured footballer that's ever played the game. Can his link-up play improve? Yes, I think that's absolutely true. Can his play with his back-to-goal improve? Yes, and I think Guardiola will work on all of that with him. He's got but... 42 goals! Yeah, he's got 42 <laughs> goals, and look at the age he is. I mean, he, he's he's got a record of either better than a goal a game or nearly a goal a game yeah. at Salzburg, at Dortmund, at City. Different it's unbelievable. Yeah. When you think about the level of that competition, it's he's outstanding. Got, he's got more goals already than Arjen Robben in the Champions League. I think more goals than Kaká. It, it's unbelievable the list he's putting together and he's just breezing past these people. He's a good player. Yeah. Oh, only, thank you. Okay. There's only one donkey round here, <laughs> let me tell you that. And it's not Erling Haaland. Um, they've got a tough tie in the uh, next round of the competition. We mentioned Bayern. How difficult is that going to be? Bayern haven't had the uh, the sort of season that you'd expect them to have. Usually we get to April, Manchester City have won the League Cup and Bayern have won the Bundesliga already. Yeah. Neither of those two things are true this year. Yeah, they have dropped off. There's no doubt about that in terms of the consistency because the funny thing is Dortmund are ahead of them now in the title race and they play each other in the Classica, which I'm lucky enough to be at actually on April the 1st. And Dortmund are more or less on track for where they were last season. But the difference is Bayern have dropped off a bit. Now, the danger with that is they have pulled out some performances, especially in the Champions League, that have been outstanding. They've won every Champions League game they've played, including home and away wins against Barcelona. Well, that's remarkable, Uh, isn't it? Because Barcelona have gone the other way. They've been brilliant domestically and terrible in Europe, whereas Bayern haven't been as good domestically, but have thrived when it comes to the Champions League. And the way they brushed off Paris over the two legs, I mean, the way they went to Paris Mm. and effectively kept them at arm's length until Mbappe came on was really quite impressive. And even then I thought, well, Mbappe's going to start the second leg. This is going to be tough for them. That high defensive line, he'll get in behind, he'll cause some problems. No. They, they were just able to cruise through, played with great control. So I just wonder, in the end, this title race might sharpen them up because they're not used to having really competitive games yeah, that's something that at we this stage of the season. level against them, isn't it? The fact that they're not tested to the end of the season. So by the time they get to the semi-finals of the Champions League and the final of the Champions League, they're not at the level that you would expect them to be. Yeah, that was the issue under Pep. Because I remember there was a season they'd won the league in March. It was the earliest anyone had ever won the Bundesliga. And the next game, I think, after they'd won it, they played Augsburg, which is a local derby that Augsburg care about a hell of a lot more than Bayern. But he played some kids we'd literally never heard of, and they lost. And that vibe was there for the rest of the season because they'd cruised to the Bundesliga title. And then they just couldn't raise their game 
for those semi-finals. So you need uh, someone to keep you honest. That's the problem. Yeah. that's why we're always on your case. But exactly. I guess that's what Man City have got this season. Uh, you know, yeah, in the Premier a League challenge. Yeah. So that so this should be two fully tuned, fully sharp teams going at it. I think City will come through. Actually, uh, Sheffield United Blackburn was the other quarter final. Um, Sheffield United winning by three goals to two. I think they deserved it. They're probably the better team on the day. Brilliant cup tie, this, wasn't it? Oh, fabulous. And obviously a, a lovely story in, in one respect with, with a winning goal scorer. But, um, not, not really. Both of the, the, the two Manchester City boys that are on loan at Sheffield United now can't play well, at Wembley. That, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure the case used to be that it was up to the discretion of the two clubs as to whether you could play or not. And I kind of feel like that should be the case in this instance because... No way. It, no, but in terms of development, you know, they might not get another opportunity in the near future, these two yeah. lads, to play in a Wembley semi-final. Oh, yeah, it would be great if Tommy Doyle wraps another one in from 25 <laughs> yards to knock Pep Guardiola's Man City out of the cup. That will go down brilliantly. Has shades of Villamana, Loire, Loire... Uh, winning three points for Portsmouth against Newcastle when he was on loan from them. Better. Well, that was when the rule was changed, wasn't yeah. it, after that game? It's really interesting. In Germany, it's just not a thing. Like, in Germany, if you're on loan, you can play all the games. And well, in Europe, it's not the, the case because Joel Cancelo will play against Manchester City. And I was talking about, uh, in commentary, actually, when Dortmund played Köln on Saturday, Marius Wolf is now part of the Dortmund team. And Köln had won at Dortmund two seasons earlier and he was part of the team. Mm. and cel- celebrated as if he was part of the Köln team and wasn't on loan from Dortmund. So, on the continent, said, it's not said, as big a thing. You said Köln, but to the rest of us who aren't native German speakers, are you talking about Cologne? You mean Erste FC Köln? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just, just making sure that everybody knows <laughs> yeah. what it is. You too, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the goat, how's the goat, by the way? The goat. Uh, Hennis the Ninth is good. Yeah. Because um, I went to meet him, Remember? Ah, yes. I went to meet Hennis. Do you remember? I do remember that. We did a whole journey about it. I went to Cologne to meet Hennis the girl. Yeah. How was he? Speaks about you fondly. Does he? All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's he was very quite frustrated. Ah, uh, there you go. He's on fire. There's an today, animal theme to this pod, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was very frustrated at half time in the game against Borkham last week. Borkham. He was headbutting. Borkham. One yeah. of the. Uh, Borkham. <laughs> Uh, we should See, do a pronunciation corner with Kev every single week. He's been anyway, chased out of Norwich to... and all kinds of other places. You can't go to Germany now. <laughs> get all the names wrong. I love Germany as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to get there for uh, Bayern Munich against Manchester City. Uh, Sheffield United 3, uh, Blackburn 2 is what we were talking about. A couple of uh, odd goals. The, the oddest of which was Max Lowe's goal, which took uh, the biggest deflection of all time. I've got to admit, I was so pleased that he didn't celebrate it because he was almost a little bit like, come on. It would have been embarrassing. That would be a little bit embarrassing to get too excited about it, but I'm pleased that it's gone in. Yeah, it looked like it was was arrowing towards the corner flag, didn't it, before it deflected in. But the two goals to turn the game around... Fantastic. They were unbelievable. The turn from McBurney was outrageously good. And then, obviously, Doyle's hit is, is outrageous. But I actually thought, in a weird way, I think McBurney's goal's better. Are you sure they can't test Manchester City? Yeah, well, especially as two of their best players can't play because they'll be cup tied. Of course they can't test Manchester City. They've done brilliantly to get this far, particularly when they're trying to balance winning promotion. And there's a lot of off-field turmoil at Sheffield United as well. There's a lot of financial problems, maybe that haven't even come to the surface as yet. The Nigerian guy who is trying to buy the football club, I would question his credibility as an owner. Well, he's employed Deloitte to go through his accounts to prove that he is a sustainable owner. Mm. I know there's one or two Premier League clubs that he had his eye on that maybe might counter that opinion. OK. Um, right, talking of the Premier League, shall we move on to the big action at the top of the table on Sunday when Arsenal went eight points clear? 
Leeds finish, Arsenal 4, Crystal Palace 1. A real party mood here as the Gunners make it six straight Premier League wins to go eight points clear at the top. They were purring from the minute Gabriel Martinelli opened the scoring with a low left foot shot on 28 minutes. The excellent Bukayo Saka doubled that lead two minutes before half-time. Granit Xhaka poked him for 3-0 ten minutes into the second half before Jeffrey Schlapp reduced the arrears with Palace's first goal in seven hours. There was still time for Saka to put the icing on the cake with the fourth. 16 minutes from time. No European hangover here. Well, Crystal Palace are in a sticky situation. Uh, Paddy McCarthy in temporary charge. Have we got any updates on uh, who's going to take over in either an interim or long-term basis? Well, it looks like it's going to be either Paddy McCarthy in charge for the rest of the season or uh, an emotional return for Roy Hodgson. Those are the two names that I'm hearing about. There was a brief mention of Jesse Marsh, I think because of the American connection, but I don't see that at this stage. We know they've spoken to Hodgson over the course of the weekend. He has made it clear that he would be willing to return and try and keep them up between now and the end of the season. But I understand that Steve Parrish was fairly impressed with the work that Paddy McCarthy did in preparing the team for the Arsenal game. They lost 4-1. And the way that he set them up. To be honest, I was quite impressed as well with some of it because I thought they started with aggression. I thought they threatened early on. Zaha hit the post early on. And they played on the front foot. I, I think it's only when you compare it to what's gone before, which is a pretty dismal set of performances... And I know they've had tough fixtures, but the way they approach those games, quite drab. But the fact they played on the front foot, they were aggressive. But in those drab fixtures, they were never beaten by four goals to one. They were in every game. They, they caught drew Arsenal yeah, on a very good day. They you know, drew Liverpool. Saka was excellent. Yeah, he was. And at 3-1... Lost one, by one goal against Manchester City. But at 3-1, Zaha misses a great chance that could have made it 3-2. But that's, he's been missing chances all season. They, they, they have missed more chances than anybody else over the course of the season. That has been... Like Patrick Vieira can't make them score goals. That's true. But I, I just think if you look at, in terms of intent, in terms of trying to play on the front foot, in terms of attitude, it was something that seems a, a little problem, bit though, different. Kevin, tell me if I'm an idiot here. I don't understand why football clubs spend all this money, all this money. You look, we talk about Antonio Conte later on, who's paying £13 million a year. They're thinking of replacing him and putting Ryan Mason in charge at the end of the season. I like Ryan, he's a nice guy. Paddy, great guy. I'm sure he will be a manager for the future at some point. But are you telling me that as a football club, it is prudent to spend so much time backing a philosophy, backing a project, all of a sudden to change that and go with a guy who works in a different department, who hasn't got the qualifications, who isn't a high-profile manager, who isn't used to dealing with big egos, someone who's really not qualified for the job? Now, I know Crook has an argument on this, which is that modern managers strong managers don't employ strong assistants because they're always worried about taking the job. But it's just ludicrous to me that you would make a change and not have a proper manager in charge, lined up, ready to go. So I agree with that. Watford Mm. get a lot of stick, by the way. But as soon as they sack a manager, at least they've got another one. Yeah, I agree with that. Because if you look at what happened with Leeds, that was embarrassing. Because they were scouted around trying to get all and sundry Alfred Schroeder got mentioned. Everybody went mad. <laughs> they went, oh, no, no, we're not going to bring him in. You um, know, he was at the game, yeah. wasn't he? Ready to be appointed. So that was he highly just been fired by Ajax. Yeah. Southampton, that, that, was a, that was a joke. I mean, their whole, their whole managerial hiring this season has been crazy. But 
are doing things on the flip side. How can that be the case? Oh, Bearing uh, exactly. in mind, these football clubs are £100 million businesses. They turn over £100 million every single year. How can you not? How can you not? invest in someone else take a proper qualified individual being ready to take over if you are going to make the change in the biggest position in your football club because it how needs, can you not be prepared for it that? needs a strong character in terms of the manager to accept that kind of person for the reasons that we said even sir alex ferguson and but mike phelan following around for years but you don't harry redknapp and kevin assistant. bond you don't have to have a strong assistant you can just have the next person lined up yeah, and a lot of clubs do that. Brighton did it, you know, replacing Graham Potter uh, with De Zerbe. Yeah, they're the, well run. <laughs> I think the point that Kev wants to make, and this yeah. is the point that I've made to you, I agree with you that the process has been poor, but ultimately Patrick Vieira, not to win a game this calendar year, only to win one game at Bournemouth since bonfire night, he had to go. So it's about No drift. manager survives that. Yeah, it's about drift, right? Once you, as a club... And I, I'm totally on board with you about you have to have somebody lined up. But you agree I, with me about Vieira? Yeah, I do. Because I think they get, there comes a point where... All those good players that they signed for him, fantastic. Yeah, but we've seen this before. We saw it at Nice and he started well and then the message wasn't getting through anymore. He wasn't getting performances out of those players and in the end he had to go. What players do you think that Crystal Palace have signed that would get into any other team in the top 15 but well, I agree with you that the squad is probably commensurate with where they are. I, w- I would completely agree with that. Probably they're, they're overachieving with yeah. the squad that they've got. However, because he had shifted from that progressive style to being more negative, if you're then playing a more negative style and you're still not winning, yeah, what was the then key that difference? Becomes a big what was problem. the key difference this season from last season? Do you think in terms of why they were progressive last year and not this year? Well, Conor Gallagher, well, yeah. The, 100%. So if they bought Colin Gallagher, it would have been completely different, right? Yeah, but that was never going to happen because Chelsea weren't going to sell him. Well, they needed to buy a player that could go into that position and play that role. Yeah, That's I, the job of the sporting director. I think the recruitment has been poor um, and underwhelming. Even on transfer deadline day or, or near to it, they were scrapping around trying to, to sign players from the championship and just not willing to come up, even with £10 million. So I think there's a bigger problem here. But Kev's right. The, the, the style of playing the Vieira this season was more reminiscent with what Palace had when Roy Hodgson was there first time oh, around. So let's bring him back. And, and they wanted to out. come away from that. I agree. That that to me doesn't make any sense either, but they're panicking here because they're, they're they getting... They are panicking. They're getting That's closer and closer to the panicking. bottom three. And they felt if Vieira had stayed in charge, they would have gone down. I tend to agree with them. I think now, if still- Roy Hodgson does come back, I think they'll win a couple of games and that'll be enough. We were going to talk about Arsenal in this section because actually Crystal Palace lost to Arsenal by four goals to one of them. They've dominated the debate. And the Gunners' hopes of being champions for the first time since 2003-04 certainly uh, took a turn north. Eight points now, the gap to Manchester City, albeit they have uh, a game uh, in hand, Manchester City over Arsenal. Um, They've got uh, no European commitments between now and the end of the season. Is that going to help them? It should do. Uh, I think Mikel Arteta talks about clarity after they went out to sporting. I thought they deserved to go out to sporting, actually. I thought they were brilliant on the night, sporting. and Good team, sporting. They are. They're a really, really good football team with an excellent coach in Ruben Amorim. And he made changes, understandably, and it wasn't quite the sparky Arsenal team that we know. The thing that really struck me about the Palace game was the sheer amount of work that Saka and Martinelli get through. They are the ultimate 
modern wingers because nowadays you cannot get away with oh I'll just get my goals and my assists I don't have to worry about any of that defensive stuff <laughs> no 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 if you want to play for Arteta you've got to work that's the crooks uh, way of playing football by the way <laughs> if you ever played in a team with him he's only interested in the glory that's a fitness issue though right uh, no it's just a selfishness really <laughs> 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 At least he admits it, yeah. to be honest with you. That's true. Um, but yeah, they're amazing because to go up and down, up and down in the way that they do, and like Guardiola, Arteta's very specific in what he wants yeah. from every player on the pitch, and they fulfil that in attack and defence brilliantly. So, Crook, bearing in mind the eight-point lead, bearing in mind the fact that they've got no European football, if Arsenal were to throw it away from here, would they be labelled bottlers? I think in some quarters. Um, I think based on the fixture list that Martin Keown was running us through on Monday, maybe that would be a little bit harsh. Martin Keown was particularly concerned about West Ham away. Yeah, big, I mean, big, big game. That's, that's nonsense. But they do have to go to Liverpool. Um, and Liverpool's home form, despite the fact they've struggled at times on the road this season, has been okay, fairly, fairly consistent. Okay. They've got to go to Newcastle. They came unstuck there, if you remember, at the end of last season when they were going for the top four. Yeah, they're a different team now, though, I feel. And obviously, they've still got to play Manchester City. Which is live on TalkSport. And, and we look forward to that. I, I think they're going to be the champions. I think they're definitely favourites. They've put themselves in the box seat. And the reason they've done that is because when they have had a bump in the road, as they did on Thursday, because let's not dress it up. People can say, oh, it's a blessing in disguise. By the end of that game on Thursday night, all the big hitters were on the pitch. Yeah. Mikel Arteta wanted to go through mm. because not only is it 19 years since they won the Premier League, it's even longer since they won their last European trophy. So I do think that was a, a blow for them. But the way they recovered and, and the relentlessness with which they went at Palace and they'd done it against Fulham the previous week, they, they had the game won with something to spare. And if they can keep on doing that, I think they've got a tremendous chance to win this Premier League. I really do. You know they've got a good chance of winning the Premier League because Crook is now going to all of their games. <laughs> <laughs> Trying again, to wrap himself in that glory. Let's, let, let's take it back to the selfishness argument. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I've got to say, I know that... People will think, oh, it's because of this, that, you don't like this club or you don't like that club. It's got nothing to do with that. I want Arsenal to win the league. Yeah. I've got, I want, I want a team that isn't Manchester City, Agreed. that isn't Liverpool, that isn't United. Liverpool isn't only Chelsea. won it once, by the way. But whatever, they've been up there dominating and trying to, you know, they've won the Champions League a couple of times. Yeah, they've won the league once in. All right, okay, years. yeah, well, we're pointing out, you can't go there either. But in Manchester City's dominance, how many times did United win the league? Sorry, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because they're someone different, because it's a new, because it's 20 years in the making, I think it's it's got a great arc to the story. And I think it makes the league more competitive and it shows us, a bit like the Leicester triumph did, that this is a great league to be a part You're of. You're comparing it, Arsenal to Leicester? No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is, is that there's always... There's always a flavour of surprise in the Premier League, which you don't necessarily get elsewhere, that we're all talking about the Bundesliga at the moment because there's actually a title yes. race. And that, that hasn't been the case for, what, 10 years? Well, no, we had a few. We had yeah, one but not where... Really. Not, 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 not really. Not really. And it's still always Bayern yeah, we and talk, Dortmund, We talked Bayern, we yeah. talk Bayern and Dortmund up until around about the end of March, and then it sort of There dies. were a couple. There was one under Tuchel where it was close, and there was one under Lucien Favre where it was close. But apart from that, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty grim. I think from a, a neutral's perspective, if you like, I don't know why you wouldn't want Arsenal to win it. Mm. They're going to be... The youngest Premier League champions, I yeah. think, younger than the yeah. Chelsea team. Second youngest Premier League manager to win it, yeah. I think, as well. They play incredible attacking football. 
They have some really likable players. I, I think that there's no reason why a neutral wouldn't want Arsenal to win it. And just, as you say, to have a different winner, it, it's not being anti-Manchester City to not want City to win it all the time. You wouldn't mm. want any club to completely dominate. I think if you look at Serie A, it's brilliant that they're having loads of different champions now after Juventus completely dominated that league. We've had Inter, we've had Milan, and now Napoli are running away with it. And I think this season, whether it's to do with the World Cup or whether it's not, whether it's just coincidence, but you've got Arsenal in a really good position in England and you've got Napoli absolutely tearing it up in Serie A which is great because they haven't won since 1990 but what Napoli have got is is one outstanding centre forward I I know they're a good side but he is very much the shining light I think when it comes to Arsenal you've got Martinelli now on 13 goals I think Saka's on 11 or 12 Gabriel Jesus obviously weighed in at the start of the season Erdegaard scores goals from midfield you've got people like Ben White performing really well as a marauding fullback you had that centre back pairing yeah you've got Zinchenko Granit Xhaka I mean, is there a more improved player in the country than Granit Xhaka? Well, he's now playing further on. He's not being given those defensive duties where he's not particularly good at. They're making the most of what he is good at, and he is rewarding them. He scored again at the weekend. He's, he's, he's Ramsdale made a brilliant season. save at yes. 0-0 to yeah, the he heart. He's he made some big saves over the course of the season. 41 minutes before Alex turns around and says, <laughs> my mate changed <laughs> the whole game. No, but what I'm saying is everybody in that Arsenal team is performing to their absolute maximum. And credit to Mikel Arteta, because he's getting a tune out of those players week in, week out. They're clearly buying into what he wants to do. The atmosphere at the stadium is probably as good as it's been since he was Mm. built. Biggest surprise of the season so far? The knowledge that Alex Crook and Mikel Arteta are exactly the same age? Can't believe that they look so different. He's a bit more of a just the men man than me, isn't he? No, no, his hair is actually black. It is like yours, though, stuck on, like literally immovable. It's all that running around on the touchlines keeping him svelte, that's what it is. Cricky doesn't get that opportunity. That's the I, difference. I run to the pub occasionally. I think Napoli might take... <laughs> uh, I think Napoli fans might take issue with you on it just being about Ossian, yeah, by know, the way. There's a Georgian Napoli. winger who's pretty good yeah, that has, I've heard. He's he all right. He hasn't, seen, he hasn't seen them. It's OK. <laughs> we just glossed over that. Yeah. <laughs> It's not Italian football is not his forte, is it? No, but they do have a, a genuine superstar striker. They do, they do. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah. yeah. 
Tottenham, 3-1 up and cruising, have been pegged back in stoppage time. The club paid us a lot of money, the players received money, me received money. Uh, they don't want to play under pressure, they don't want to play under stress. Tottenham's story is this, 20 years that there is the owner and never won something. But why? It's about time someone stood up and said, you know what, come on you lot, because those players need to look at themselves. They're a lot better than they're playing at the moment, I believe. Some of them need to be shaken up. Not only has he chucked the players under the bus, you know, that was a very awkward journey home. I would imagine it would be quite a quiet training ground. But he's also called out Daniel Levy and the owner. Here comes Conte, this winning manager, and he's come out and he's, just, he's told the truth. He turned down Tottenham for a reason. He knows the history of Daniel Levy. He's to blame as well. I think the best thing for Spurs now is get rid of Conte. And he thinks, well, I'm go if I do go down, I'm taking a few with me. An embarrassing dropping of points for uh, Tottenham Hotspur away at Southampton on Saturday. Crook, you were there. Um, did you see it coming? No, not at all. In fact, at 3-1, Adrian Durham, who was alongside me, says, what happens here? I said, well, Southampton collapsed because their players are not good enough to get back in this game. And then very quickly, it was 3-3. Uh, Please it was tell me he outed you for that on air. No, he doesn't like to do that to me. It's just you. Uh, but it was astonishing. And uh, the game changed on a double substitution that Antonio Conte made. Pape Sarr, who comes on and gives away the penalty, whether you think that was rightly awarded or not, is probably open to debate. He brings on Emerson Royale. He invited Southampton back into the game. And it was something, actually, was it Andy Jacobs was saying to us on Monday, this notion of managers just sitting back and trying to see out matches doesn't work didn't work for Tottenham no. because Southampton weren't going to get back into that game and a lot has been made of the rant that he had afterwards and the fact that he said we're not a team I see selfish players and players that don't want to help each other and it's the story of the club over 20 years and obviously everyone was up in the arms and that was sort of what everyone talked about maybe that was a bit of a distraction technique because this team over the course of the season have been rubbish. They've been boring to watch. They're negative. They don't play any football in the first half. All they want to do is just make sure nothing happens in the game. And then they look to try and tire the opposition and then try and pounce. The problem comes when you concede early goals, which they have done on several occasions. His changes in big games have been poor. His decision not to play Harry Kane in the FA Cup seems even more ludicrous now when you see that Sheffield United are in the semi-finals. He has got to shoulder some of the blame. Yes, some of the things he has said about Tottenham is absolutely spot on. There is not a culture of winning in that club. But he should have done more to influence that and to change that. He has single-handedly taken them out of two competitions. It's down to him to introduce that culture of winning. And he was able to do that at Inter... And Inter fans are not surprised by this, by the way. This used to happen all the time when he was at no Inter. No one's surprised no. by this. this. This is what he does. It's all about competitive tension. So he creates tension between himself and the people above him. He creates tension between himself and the players. It has worked for him at a variety of clubs, but he's there for a good time, not a long time. And you know this when you <laughs> I don't think he's having in. a good time at the moment, I've got to say. <laughs> not at the moment, for a no. Good time, not a long time. Isn't that the title of Alan Brazil's book? <laughs> in theory, he's there for a good time. But I, I think this is damaging the brand. I do. I, I think. What, the Conte brand? Uh, yeah, the completely. The, the Conte brand. Massively. But it was already damaged, wasn't it? Because we had this conversation, and Crook will now admit it. He actually said, I was wrong earlier on today. I know that is 
That is a major development in wow. the uh, the crook arc, but it's true. He did say Redemption. I was wrong. Um, and he, it was when we were arguing on this very podcast with Darren Lewis, who has texted me today, by the way, to defend Antonio Conte. He still won't admit that he, he was wrong. He won't admit that he's wrong. Um, but I said Manchester United will not employ Antonio Conte when there was so much clamour for Manchester United to employ him because he is so combative because he creates the competitive tension that you've mentioned, because he leaves a lingering mood around the place. And they don't want that. They've got away from that with Jose Mourinho. When they were replacing Solskjaer, they were never going to do it. And you were adamant, adamant that they should because he was a winner and he was a driver. But now you can see why they don't do it. I think also there was an element of fear there that he would uncover how badly parts of the club was run, were run, yeah. to be honest. I think that's Maybe, part of it. Maybe, but look how well they've done this season. But yeah, exactly. They've By brought creating in a very different atmosphere. Ten Hag's much more collegiate. Yeah. Uh, and and that, I think, is the way we are starting to go. Because that's this, what football management is nowadays. Look at Conte, look at Mourinho. I think there's a danger of Tuchel going this way in a slightly different way. I think he's got to have a think about how he approaches things. That whole idea of the kind of tub-thumping manager who constantly berates players, who pushes them, who slags them off publicly to get a reaction out of them, I think that's really old hat now. Yeah. And I think it's fading into the background. And I think Conte's, Conte's wrestling it's with like this. It's like this weird trick that he thought he could pull. Last year against Burnley when I did the interview with him and he walked off halfway through. You know, the Antonio, Antonio, as he's walking out the door, will you be in the dugout the weekend he'd been telling me about how bad the players were hoping for a reaction yeah. actually it worked on that occasion they ended up soaring into the top four but it's not going to work a second time you can only play that card once no and he's got a full on revolt now in the, in the Tottenham dressing room there were a lot of unhappy players before his rant there are even more now and I think that makes it very difficult for him to continue obviously he's had talks with the owners over the course of the weekend and say, look, I wasn't calling you out, I was calling out the players. <laughs> I, I don't see how he walks back into that, that home how dressing How does that room. even make sense? Because there's not one player that's been there for 20 no, years. It, it, What's Italian for gross misconduct? <laughs> well, exactly. And, and that is him trying trying to make sure that his payoff, if, if, if they were to he's sack him, to get remains fired, intact. If he gets out of there, he doesn't have to go back to work and he's going to get paid up. You know, whatever happens, he is going to be paid to the end of the season because he's either going to be fired or he's going to end up being there. And then in the summer, they're going to have to change the manager god knows who they get but maybe they could go for sporting's ruben amarine maybe they could uh, i think somebody's going to go for him in the near future uh, i think he's getting to the point where he's done pretty much everything he could do at sporting he's won the primera liga for the first time in a long time he has got them to the last 16 of the champions league he got them to obviously he's continued the run in the Europa League and there's a good chance they'll go a bit further because I think they could upset Juventus in that quarterfinal. So he's done a brilliant job but he's always going to lose his top players and mm. he knows that. So there's an opportunity for him uh, and I think Tottenham, it, it would be remiss of them not to look at him. Uh, I think also they might look at Paolo Fonseca. They've looked at him before. Yeah. He's had a brilliant season with Lille because Lille lost some key players, but managed to retain guys like Jonathan David. He's got the best out of him. I think they're, they're in the mix for Champions League, potentially, so they could go back to him. It's a bit left field, and I don't think it will happen, but Julian Nagelsmann's been linked with them before. Now, Bayern is still talking him up. Bayern is still being very positive about him, 
but we don't know what effect it has on a coach if Bayern don't win the Bundesliga. And this is gets fired. <laughs> this is the closest we've been for a while. So I think it'll depend on what happens against City. It'll depend on what happens in the Bundesliga for the rest of the season. But if he was suddenly available... Then there's then a load of tailors in German of... Street who would be absolutely delighted <laughs> about the fact that he's turning up. Yeah, and all of the, uh, you know, the various ski jackets, the sports jackets, oh, you man. know. He is clobber central, that yes. geezer, isn't it? He yeah. loves to make a statement. He is Hassan Hutel on speed. He's brilliant. Yeah, he's about as good as it gets with the drip, I think. So I think they liked Hutel before, actually. I mean, that ship has probably sailed as well, but he's certainly been in their sights in the past. But why not? And he's I ready mean, to come back in, by all accounts. I, I do think Palace? he gets a bit of a bad rep, actually. Then a worse rep than he should. I think he did a terrific job with Southampton. Crookie loves him. I think he's to take him for a beer. Yeah, we never got to have that beer. Maybe if he pitches up at Spurs or Palace, I'll, uh, I'll You'll make start a date. going there. I'll he make sounded a date. genuinely really sad. Ellis Sims' first Premier League goal um, uh, earned Everton an unlikely point away at Stamford Bridge. Everton's hope for survival completely boosted by that. But Chelsea, once again, they get themselves into a situation where they start to win games and then all of a sudden, bang. Yeah, it was uh, a backward step for Chelsea. Great point for Everton on the road. Um, I saw a few, again, the celebration police out in force mocking the way that they greeted that point. But it's, it could be a massive it's turning massive point huge. in their season. Absolutely huge. And it's but, a great story as well, bearing in mind this kid was on loan uh, at Championship Sunderland earlier in the season. Oh, fantastic. And actually, they were trying to hawk him around in January and then realised they couldn't send him out on loan because he'd already played for two clubs <laughs> in the same season. Which probably Don't tells you just love football clubs. Probably tells you all you need to know about the same thing about is it, is it David Datro Fafana who plays for Chelsea? Oh, yeah. I think he's played for three clubs. He played, played for Mulder, didn't Mulder, he? And, then... and he's played for Chelsea. And then someone asked Graham Potter whether or not he could go out on loan. He said, oh, we'll, we'll look at the options. Like, well, you won't. No, he can only go play. back to Mulder. There's one <laughs> he's option. Played <laughs> he's played for two. So he's going to Mulder or he's staying yeah. here. It's one of the two. It does It does raise concerns, though, that result and the nature of the, the performance in the second half, just how far Chelsea have improved. And that's going to be put to the test in the Champions League against Real Madrid, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean... Probably not, to be honest with you, is the answer to that. They they haven't improved enough to beat Real Madrid. They couldn't beat them last year. They're not going to beat them this year, the way things are going. Uh, you, I thought when you were going to say about um, um, they've got a decision to make on him earlier, you were talking about David De Gea. I thought you were talking about Bruno Fernandes, actually. And the captaincy. Uh, and, and, and whether or not... Um, Manchester United started to move the jigsaw pieces around. There's a rumour that Mason Mount might end up going there. Because no, I he's think he'll go to Liverpool. Don't say that to me. <laughs> told you you're not allowed to say that you're not even allowed to suggest that that is the case yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll hurt me to my core because ultimately if they sell Mason Mount to Liverpool right let's just lay it on the line here the Chelsea ownership are discarding heritage with a player who has got a real good connection with the supporters and has come through the ranks and has been a massive part of every single age group right the way through to the first team and has been a terrific player second thing is he's an English based player and that's really important because you have to have a certain number in your squad. So having a homegrown player for free is pretty you know, useful because you play premiums for, for English players. He's a good player in an England international and a great ambassador for the football club. That's another thing. And fourthly, Liverpool. Yeah. Chelsea and Liverpool have got a horrible rivalry which has been borne out by too many meetings over the last 20 years, jibes on either side and big, big moments in both those clubs' histories. Right, giving one of your own players to a rival of that magnitude is absolutely ludicrous. You are going to lose so many people by doing that. 
It is unthinkable that you could sanction that transfer. I'm sorry. I just think it's outrageous to even think about it. Dry your eyes, mate. It's it's a big test, I think, of how much they understand the club, actually, and whether they are just looking at analytics and are just obsessed with the next big thing and who's got the best ratings and whatever, so whether they actually understand the fabric of the football club. So I do think that's a big test. But, I mean, I cannot envisage a situation where Graham Potter, who loves technically gifted, smart players can't really understand why he wouldn't be an important player for him going forward, but there we go. I don't understand it either. It's absolutely ludicrous. Talking of ludicrous, Johnny's challenge. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there was talk they might appeal that over the course of the weekend. They've appeal decided, it? They've decided not to. <laughs> what, uh, they wanted more games <laughs> for him to be banned for? I mean, it was a terrible tackle. Um, it was a crazy game, that. Um, Wolves scoring two in a game. Uh, and not winning. We included uh, one of the goals of the season just, from Johnny. Just, just to, to remind everybody that you said in, on the last It was going to be nil-nil. It was going to be the lowest ga- scoring game of the season. Yeah. <laughs> it, absolutely. It was uh, it, it defied logic, really. Big win for Leeds away from home. Took them up to, what, 14th in the table? I think they're in the European place. Which, uh, which is amazing. But Wolves have got this thing, haven't they, that, uh, you know, they're fed up with receiving apologies from the PGMOL. They don't, they don't want any more apologies. They just want correct decisions well, what about to be made. tackle like that? Well, yeah, but this is also the tug on the shirt for Traore, which, listen, probably was a foul, but I it's don't think Traore up, needs to stop. You can't just stop playing. You can't just stop playing. <laughs> you cannot do that. I, don't, I actually think, I went through it earlier on, that fourth goal, I'm not complaining too much about that. If I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, okay, all right, okay, you could have given a foul there, but it's not clear and obvious error. And actually, Traore is massive. He can definitely shrug that he off can if deal he wants it. to. He can deal with it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not getting any ump about that. The, they are appealing the Nunes uh, red card. I think they'll probably win that appeal. Yeah, I mean, there was a little sort of like coming together, but nothing too. It wasn't too Mitrovic, big on that. was it? Um, and then there was the uh, there was the other decision that they weren't happy with. There was a penalty they thought they should have had. They should have had a penalty. Oh yeah, the Junior Furpo one. I'm not convinced by that. I, I think that's borderline. Yeah, I think he takes the ball. It's not clear and obvious no, error. He takes the ball. And actually, the biggest error that anybody's made in the game is the fact that Craig Dawson wasn't sent off for going in on Jack Harrison because uh, Harrison slipped, but his foot goes right up the leg of Harrison, and you can't do that. So actually. The Wolves be a little bit careful here of getting too, well, too, again, too into con- detail. They've got this conspiracy theory where they feel, feel that the officials are against them. Yeah. Well, Why Ast- would they be? Aston Villa, Brentford, Leicester and Bournemouth are all going to have a conspiracy theory thinking that we're against them as well because we've run out of time. <laughs> so we can't get into uh, discussions on them, but they weren't very eventful. Bournemouth lost 3-0 away at Villa Park and Brentford uh, drew 1-1. He's doing with well with Leicester, Emory, isn't he? With Villa. City. Tell you I really like unto them just we've quickly. Got to go. Jacob Ramsey, he's really good. Oh, good player. He's yeah, really, really good. Quite good as well, apparently. And he was he was caged by Stephen Gerrard, and now he's free. Yeah, but what Wonderful. about Unai Emery? Brilliant. Yeah. Said he would be. Okay. Well, How get, dare you? Well, let's, <laughs> let's see what happens in a year's time, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that this time last year, they were 11th, and now they're 11th. Okay, let's see what happens. Uh, we'll be back on uh, Friday after the England have played Italy live on TalkSport on Thursday night. So join uh, the boys and girls out in Naples for that and we'll review all the action this weekend on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. 
Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.